good to see you this morning. I've been in Diamond Bar for a couple of weeks, and usually I would be here in Alhambra for this week and next, but I'm going to be in Brawley. Thank you, sir. I'm going to be in Brawley uh, next next week at a, um, a man who invited me as a key layperson in a church there in Brawley that was a part of Church in the Valley for a while, so I'm going to be speaking there. And here in Alhambra, Neil Walker is going to be delivering the message, and Neil is the Director of Christian Challenge at University of Southern California. We have several students from USC and Challenge that are a part of Church in the Valley here and, and serve and help out, and so he's going to be uh, leading us. He and Melinda started the Christian Challenge ministry about 25 years ago, and just about the same time that we started the, the church in Diamond Bar. And so uh, we've tracked and teamed up and partnered uh, for a long time, so I'm looking forward to you being able to hear him uh, next week, and grateful that he's serving us that way. We are rounding the corner in the intersection series, and we've been looking at, in this series, we've been looking at good questions to ask when you come up to a, a, an intersection uh, in life where you have to make a decision to go one way or the other. <clears throat> we've been looking at good questions to ask that will help you move forward uh, when you're not sure what to do, when there's an unexpected turn or when you're surprised by a decision that you need to make. Today, we're going to look at an important question to ask when facing an unexpected change or roadblock, some kind of circumstance or something comes up that creates a turn of events. So you're coming up to the intersection and there's, there's this roadblock you thought you were going to be able to turn right, you can't, now, now what? <laughs> what do we do now? What happens is we all tend to roll a video in, in our minds of how we want our life to go. I mean, we, we sort of have this preferred future that we're thinking through and considering and trying to figure out. How do we want a certain relationship to grow? What do we want to do with a project that we're working on and how would we like to see it unfold? We would love to be, I would love to have the ability to write the script for uh, how life unfolds, how it plays out, and we sort of do this in our mind. We, we write the script, we see it playing out, we, we can see how we want it to go, but often there is a twist in the situation. There's a turn that forces a decision. I, 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 as we're writing the script, as we're living our lives, we, we have... A very important part to play, and our decisions stack up and create the life that we experience, but we don't have final say in the edits. We just don't. So we're going to look at some perspective toward the end of the message, particularly that helps us in getting our minds around what to do when we come up to a barricade, because sometimes we misunderstand faith. Faith is sometimes understood to be uh, something we use to convince God to keep rolling the video the way we want it to go. And so we come up to a barricade in the road, we come up to a roadblock, a turn of events, and sometimes we think 
faith is what I do to convince God to keep giving me what I want. But that's not genuine faith. This, this morning, we're going to look at genuine faith and how to deal with those barricades. It's a very important question that we're looking at, which brings us to question number five in the series of questions that we're asking. Am I living by faith or just demanding that God do what I want? Sometimes you hear people talk about faith and the emphasis is on believing so I get what I want. But you find in Scripture that's, that's not genuine faith. We're going to start the message with a story. Now, stories from the Old Testament, first part of the Bible, uh, are, are written, we find out in the New Testament, the, the newest part of the Bible, although it's not very new. We find out they're written for endurance so that we can endure, so that we can find encouragement, and so that the result will bring hope. And I think in this story, we're going we're gonna to see a lot of hope. We're going to see a lot of encouragement in the story we look at. We're going to dig into the highlights of one of my favorite stories uh, that, that happened uh, in around 600 B.C. We're going to dig into the story written by Daniel, whom God used as a prophet. And he wrote the story about himself and three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were teenagers. And so we're going to look at what we can learn from these four teenagers this morning. Daniel was a a young Hebrew leader in the nation of Israel when God raised him up as a prophet in the nation. As I said, it was around 600 B.C. During this time, the whole nation of Israel was walking away from God. He He had raised them up as a nation to be his people, and they had decided to turn against God, to go their own way. And so it says that God gave Jehoiakim, the king of Israel, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. He gave him into his hand. So what happened is the whole nation of Israel was besieged by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. And what happened after the siege is some of the people, including the best, most promising young men in the country, were exiled to Babylon. So here they are. They're living their lives. <laughs> it's going along. Uh, I'm sure the way they liked, they were very gifted men. We'll find out in the story. And they were snatched out of the familiar and placed in Babylon. That, that's what I would call a roadblock, <laughs> a barricade to life as you see it rolling out. It didn't quite play out the way they thought. So Daniel and his free, three friends... We're in this group of promising young people, and we're going to see what what happens. I'm just going to walk through some of the story. To say the least, this represents a major change in their plans, a major shift, something they had to deal with. All of us dream about the way we want our lives to, to play out. And for these four guys, I'm sure exile was not a part of their plan. Being snatched out of their country, put in another one. If this was a dream, it was a nightmare. So they had to adjust. They had to decide, how am I going to respond? When the first part of the book, in the first chapter of Daniel, uh, Daniel traces their response to this change of events. The king ordered the gifted captives uh, to eat the finest and richest foods of Babylon. That violated, that was out of bounds at the time for God's people. And so 
they decided, Daniel and his friends decided, they resolved to live by what they understood to be God's will and not eat this food. They made a resolution. They just decided, I'm going to live by what we understand is right before God. And what happened is, God gave them favor. As they appealed to the authority over them, God gave them favor with the Babylonian authority. It says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This is the guy that was in charge of the food that these captives were, were handed to eat. And so, uh, to, to prove to the chief of the eunuchs that they would be okay if they ate this food, they devised a test. A test was given after 10 days of eating the food that was okay uh, for Daniel and his friends to eat. They outshined all the others. They, they, were, they were thriving physically, mentally, and in every way. They outshined those who had been eating the king's food. And this is something to note here. This is something to pay attention to what's going on. God blessed their obedience. And, and they thrived under the diet they, they chose to live in an effort to please God instead of compromising their convictions. They thrived. God gave them favor. They thrived. And the story continues. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. God, God really blessed them as they made these choices. Twists and turns. They stayed on track. They made their decisions. And God blessed the decisions that, that they made. So over time, they rose to leadership positions in the land of exile in Babylon. And they outpaced the rest of Babylon, the best of Babylon in wisdom and understanding. So after getting settled in the land of exile, are you guys with me? It's kind of a long story, isn't it? There's, there's encouragement here, though. <laughs> um, a- after getting settled into the land, you know, they get, you, they, they're eating, they're allowed to eat the food they want to eat, and things are going along, and looks like things are moving in, you know, a, a good direction. Probably they're feeling quite comfortable in their new surroundings. They're adjusted. There's another turn of events that surprises them. The king has a dream, Nebuchadnezzar. He was, he was sort of an erratic guy, to say the least. Uh, and an erratic guy with a lot of power. So it could, could be pretty arbitrary. Um, he has a dream, and the dream troubles him. And so he demands that someone... Not only interpret his dream, tell him what it means, but tell him what the dream was. He, he won't reveal the dream. So he wants someone to reveal the dream and interpret it for him. Uh, not, not really a reasonable request, but that was Nebuchadnezzar. No one can pull this off. No, no one's able to, to, to figure this out, what the dream was and its interpretation. Uh, at least the ones he had asked. And so... The king, in a fit of rage, commands his guard to kill all the wise men, all of his advisors in Babylon. Now, Daniel and his friends hadn't heard about this, and they get wind of this, that they're, they're in line for, you know, the executioner. So when they get wind of what's going on, Daniel turns to God. As they're facing the executioner, he turns to God. 
Daniel uh, goes to God and asks for help. He, he actually heard about what was going on. He hadn't been asked to tell the dream or interpret it. But he hears about what's going on. He goes back to his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he says, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. In other words, let's ask God. He's the only one that's going to be able to tell us the dream and the interpretation for the dream. So notice where Daniel turns when they hit this another change of events. He turns directly to God. He recognized that God was the only one in control of what's going on here. And he put his faith in him, asking him for help. Well, God reveals the mystery to Daniel. Daniel goes before the king, credits God, and glorifies him for revealing the mystery. And uh, then he tells the dream and its interpretation to the king. This, this is what he says after he tells the interpretation. He gives credit to God. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is true. King praises God, promotes Daniel to a ruler. Uh, Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they are rising stars in Babylon. Okay, so they, they get snatched out of their homeland, put in Babylon. They go to Babylon. They're getting settled. This new uh, problem comes up. They're facing execution. They get past that, and now they're rising stars again in Babylon. They get positions of influence and some power. But then there's another turn. Here we go again. Another turn. Uh, King, King Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's going to make an image of himself and command his entire nation, they, well, all the captives, everybody under his control, to bow and worship his image. Now, he doesn't make, you know, you, you know the Oscars, you see the Oscars, and they have the Oscars about this big, I think, pretty heavy. And then when they're walking on the red carpet, they make, you know, life-size Oscars so that people are walking. Well, Nebuchadnezzar makes an image 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide of himself. And he commands everyone to bow to this image. Says King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits by and its breadth 6 cubits, 90 feet by 9 feet. Then a herald of the king proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast in the fiery furnace, a burning fiery furnace. So this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar. I told you he was a little erratic, but a guy with a lot of power. And so he could do whatever he wanted. Well, most of the people bow down. But word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar through a group that Shadrach, well, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they did not bow. So word gets back. Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. He's in a rage. And he calls 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hannah and I, it's, it's confusing. They changed their names. He calls them before them. And basically what he says is, okay, we're going to try this again. <laughs> Here's the image, the humongous 90 by 9 foot image. And we're going to do it again. Now, if, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, he's got these three guys there. If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Very bold statement. By the man with all the power in the world. Now, I'd like to hit the pause button on the story right here. We're going to pause. There are many things in the story of Daniel and these three young men that I'm sure they had not anticipated. As they were in their homeland, thinking about how they wanted their life to play out, there were a lot of things that went on that I think surprised them, that blocked the progress that they saw themselves making. Exile and captivity, the sudden threat on their life, the command to worship the king. And they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't have done that. They're in Israel, one God. You don't worship the king, you worship God. <clears throat> so they had to keep choosing their response to the drastic changes in circumstances that I'm sure were not a part of their plans. As... As they rolled the video of their preferred future, these things were not in there. So they had to decide how they were going to deal with these things one by one as they faced these roadblocks. Now, this is a lot like life, isn't it? I mean, it has been for me. I have my preferred future. I have my video of how I'd like to see things go. Almost in any given area of my life. In fact, in every given area of my life, I have, I have, you know, in my family life, I, I know how I'd like it to go. In work here in the ministry, Church in the Valley, I know how I'd like that to go. My finances, uh, my friendships, my family relationships, my just go on and on and on. And I know how I'd like things to go, but I keep I keep facing roadblocks and twists and turns that are surprising to me because I, I can't see the whole picture. I can't see what's going on. There are things like this in all of our lives. All, all of us face these. We have plans. We roll the video of the preferred future, how we would like our plans to, to play out. And then the plans fail or fall through because of unforeseen circumstances. And we have a decision to make. Someone has a change of heart. The boyfriend or girlfriend that we've been dating decides that they don't want to date anymore. Our boss shifts favor to someone else and they get the promotion. We've been planning on that. We've been thinking that ahead to that. There are financial setbacks and obstacles that we didn't anticipate. The car breaks down. The stock market takes a dip. The economy just gets strang- It's in a stranglehold. And it's, it's going to delay our goals. How are we going to respond to these changes? What's going to go on? You're working on a project and you find out that the project is going to cost at least twice what you thought it would. Or it's going to take a lot more work than you anticipated. 
and it's in jeopardy. So what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with these, these shifts? The team that you're working with on any given thing isn't cooperating. It's not working together to help us reach the goal in the way we deem most important. In fact, key players are stepping back and bowing out right when we need them to step forward and get moving. There's, there's a long list of potential changes that, that we deal with that can upset our plans, that can really surprise us. How are we going to respond? How should we respond? Well, there are at least three. We're going to look at three uh, sort of ways that we tend to respond to change in circumstance. But then we're going to look at a fourth one out of Scripture that shows us how to deal with this. First one is sometimes we respond by trying to control the situation, the people and the circumstances to get the outcome that, that we want. Whenever we face change, very tempting to try to start going into control mode, try to get the people and the circumstances around us to do what we want. And when we try this, our frustration level goes through the roof. And frankly, everybody else around us gets frustrated as well because they're struggling with the fact that we're trying to control them. Frustration turns into high anxiety and stress that causes real damage to our health and relationships. And it, uh, So we try to control it. That's going on. Daniel and his, his three friends didn't fight the authority in Babylon. They, they, they didn't try to control it. They knew that was way beyond their ability. They appealed to them. They appealed to God and to them and asked if they were willing to do that test. Sometimes we have to get creative when we hit roadblocks. And we need to go to God for help in that as well. So that's one response. Second, we're tempted to compromise what's right to preserve the plan. We're going to hold on to our plan, our preferred way of this all working out, and we're going to compromise to do that. We decide that we're not going to let go of the details of how we want our life to play out. We're not letting go. We put a stranglehold on them, and so we compromise what we know is right in order to make sure that we get what we want. It's another response we can take. Compromise at that moment seems like the only way forward to accomplish what we really want. And when our goals are blocked, and sometimes we need to use creativity like, like Daniel and his friends did. Three, third response possible, refuse to pivot. Sometimes circumstances come up, and God's trying to get us to, to pivot, to, to shift directions a little. And when I refuse to pivot, I stubbornly refuse to change my plans because this is what I want. This is the way I want it to work out. And often God wants to use a change or a shift in circumstances to show us a better way, something we're not seeing. Not always, but many times this is what he's doing. We should be open to changing our mind to match his plan once we begin to figure out how he works in this way when we're dealing with changing circumstances. In, in each of these responses to changing circumstances, I'm in the driver's seat. I put myself firmly in the driver's seat. I'm the captain of my own destiny, and I'm trying by my own self-effort 
and will to make my plan come to fruition. I'm trying to make it happen all on my own. That's not what you see Daniel and his friends doing. They show us a fourth response. They were put in the place they were in Babylon, the positions they had to fulfill God's purpose for them. They accepted the changes from the hand of God, and they focused on making good decisions in those situations as life took its twists and turns. Their focus was, okay, God, what what do I do? What's right before you? I'm going to turn to you. I need your help, and I'm going to do what's right before you. Now let's hit the play button again and see what these three teenagers did. Uh, We're going to go back where we left off in the stories. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar appeals to them again, worship or else. This is what happened. And they show us to choose faith when our plans change. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we've already made up our mind. We are not going to worship you or your image. If this be so, if you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We are just not going to do it. This is the response of genuine faith. No matter what's going on out here, no matter what twists and turns to my preferred way of living goes on, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to continue to do life His way. This is genuine faith on display here. Faith is trusting God in the middle of changing circumstances, whether or not my dreams unfold. Whether or not. It's refusing to compromise on what's right to get our way. Presumptive faith, a pseudo-faith, a false faith, is demanding that God give me what I want, assuming that my plan is the best. God, God wants us to have soft, pliable hearts that respond to Him in the middle of our changing circumstances. And this is what it means. If you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, this is what it means. You, you learn to make your plans and respond with a pliable, soft heart. To the living God. It's so tempting to be stubborn. To hold on to our plans. To demand our way. And in contrast to a pliable heart. A soft heart. Here are some signs of a stubborn heart. There there are a few of them. Anger and frustration. It it could be a low rumble grumble. Of dissatisfaction. That you kind of go through life with. I don't like this. It's... Or it could be a fit of rage. You just blow up at times. They, they come when you're facing these changes in, in circumstances. You're, you're angry. You're frustrated. And it's showing up in the way you relate to people. The way you're handling your choices and decisions. Another sign is entitlement. Now, entitlement means I feel like I'm a, sh- a special case and I shouldn't have to deal with the challenges of life like everybody else. Everybody faces uncertainty. Everybody faces twists and turns. We can't see the whole road from start to finish. 
But entitlement means I'm going to demand my way because I should be treated as a special case before God. God plays no favorites. We all live the life we live. We all face the same kinds of things. And then finally, despair. You ever got to the place of despair? You, you make a plan. You, you lay, it's, a, it's a perfect plan. I, you can see the formula is fantastic. I mean, you can see A, B, C, D, on down the road how it's going to play out. And it gets blown up at B. Okay, A worked out, B, boom. And at that point, you throw up your hands in despair and think, Okay, what's the use of trying to plan? Why, why should I even try to plan? Why should I set any goals whatsoever? Because it never seems to work out. This is a very depressing place to be. I, I've been here. This is very depressing because you feel like no matter how hard I try, I can't make any progress in life. I can't make my plans come to fruition. And as soon as I take three or four steps forward, I get shoved backwards Five or six. And it's beyond my control. I can't see what's happening. Well, God wants to use all this in our lives. He wants to get our attention through it. He wants us to learn to cooperate with Him and to walk with Him and to face these twists and turns uh, with the wisdom that He wants to provide and that He's provided in the Scripture. This is, this is all... He allows this so that we'll learn to depend on Him, to rely on Him, to have a soft, pliable heart before him. Daniel's three friends, they were working on building a life in Israel. I'm, I know when they got snatched out of Israel and put in Babylon. I'm sure they had plans for their future in Israel when they were snatched out of the country. They could have easily fallen in despair, but they didn't. We're going to look at some backdrop principles from the Scripture that show us how faith and planning work together. How do they work together? How, how does this fit together? As you, as you try to follow God, as you try to walk with God, we're going to wrap up the message by looking at some key principles. Look at Proverbs 16, 1 through 4, and then uh, verse 9 of Proverbs 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. He's looking deeper than what we're doing. He's looking at our hearts. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Verse 9 goes on. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Interesting flow, isn't it? How planning and faith work together. First, in this passage, we're instructed to make our plans with an open hand. In other words, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We're making our plans, we're saying what we would want, and then God's showing us through circumstances, what's going on in our life, what He's going to honor, how He wants to lead us, how He wants to guide us. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Planning with an open hand means that you realize God determines the outcome. We make our plans, and He decides which ones are going to bear fruit. So, while you 
pursue your plans aggressively, good, legitimate plans that are aiming toward good, legitimate goals. You pursue those plans aggressively, but you keep them soft in the sense that you're willing to shift direction as God guides. You're not going to stubbornly refuse to let go of your plans. When God reveals his will based on his own timing and judgment of the situation, you adjust, you pivot, you shift. When we adjust to God's will as it unfolds, verse 9 becomes a reality there. Our steps get established. God directs us. And we're in step with him. It it takes us back to our key question. Will I allow my plans to fit loosely within the palm of my hand or will I clench my fist around them and attempt to secure my plans from God? If you're willing to take a risk and see God's plan for your life as better than your own, you're going to need to commit to live a life of faith. That's what it takes. We live by faith, not by what we can see. That's what it means to follow the Lord. Second, faith and planning work together like this. We aim to line up our plans from the outset with God's purposes. Verse 3 and 4. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Commit here means to roll your plans like uh, like they're heavy, they, they, they're heavy, they weigh a lot, they're burdensome, your plans, you know, when you have a plan, you really want something to take place. It weighs on you. It's, it's, it, it's weighing you down. The word commit means to roll that over on God. It means to give it to God. When we roll our plans onto God, we hand them to Him whose strength and understanding we cannot fathom and who helps us with the plans and decides which ones are going to fulfill his purpose for us as we trust him with those. Have you ever tried to carry the weight of something? I can think one time I tried, I was trying to carry a heavy, uh, I don't like to waste the time taking the drawers out of things to move, move stuff. And I remember trying to carry, it was a short uh, file cabinet and you know, I should have taken the drawers out, but I was young and I'm, I'm sort of awkwardly lifting the thing up and carrying it like this. And somebody saw me trying to do that, and they came, they came along and picked up the other side. Whew! That was a real help. You ever had somebody do that? You're trying to move something, they come along and pick it up. That's, that's the idea here. You have plans you're trying to make. And you roll them onto God, and He helps carry them. And you trust Him to decide which ones are going to be best, which ones are going to work out for me. Committing your, your work to the Lord is like handing over your dreams and your plans. But, but you're handing, it's not like you're going to quit pursuing the right dreams or the right goals. It, it's, you're asking God to, to manage the outcomes. That you can't control. That's what weighs us down. We don't know how this is going to turn out. So we're burdened. We're, we're weighed down with that. And to commit means you roll the outcomes over on God and you trust Him with those outcomes. What does the Bible say 
about your plans, about your goals, about how to find a spouse, about uh, the plan you have for raising your children, about building wealth, about your career, about living life. What does it say? We, we try to understand. We meet every week to talk about Scripture because we're trying to understand the way God looks at life so that we can line up our plans with His. And that's, that's the second big lesson today. We have a real opportunity to measure our goals, our dreams, and our schemes against the Word of God. And then learn to line up our goals and plans with His and stay in step with Him. But as we're making our plans, we're, we're trusting Him and trying to live with an open hand to Him. This brings us back to the original question of the day. Am I living by faith or just demanding that God do what I want? It's important to walk by faith. As you walk by faith, life goes better and better and better and gets sweeter and sweeter as we learn to trust God in handling the situations and circumstances of our life. I'm going to wrap up the message by asking you to think through some next steps. And God may have been speaking to you and laying something on your heart. Um, But I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take the connection card out of your program and look at the back. And I put uh, two next steps related to the message at the top of the, the part of that connection card that says, My next step today is to... Uh, In a moment, we're going to receive our offering. Uh, You could use this time to finish filling out the connection card uh, and or any next steps that you'd like to take today, either related to the message or Church in the Valley, and then put it in the offering when the uh, ushers come around. That'd be great. Uh, But here are my suggestions. First of all, ask God to show me any signs of a stubborn heart. Maybe you're going through a situation right now. There's a roadblock. You're frustrated. you're, You're wondering what to do. Ask God to show you a sign that you have a stubborn heart and and then take it to him, lay the plan before him and ask him for help. That that could be a good a good next step. God may have said something else to you, a step that he wants you to take that you're willing to take. Another good thing would be another step would be to memorize Proverbs 16, 1 and 2. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. He weighs the heart. He's looking inside. So those are my suggestions for next step. As the band comes up, uh, I'd like to to wrap up. If you're planning to attend Bunko, great way to meet some friends. You can let us know if you want to go to the quiet time class, which is going to show us how to how, show you how to dig into the scripture on your own and how to hear God speak to you that way. Uh, and then if you want to attend the uh, parenting seminar, there's some other next steps you can let us know about. Drop that in the offering when it comes by. That'd be great. Uh, let's pray.